Hey everybody, welcome to episode 13, Unlucky 13, of the Mountain Bike Podcast. I think it's Lucky 13, Let's personally. And we aren't like roadies, we're not turning this 13 upside down when we no, put it on our jersey. we're definitely not 31. We're running it. Yeah. Yeah, we're embracing the 13. Welcome to episode 13 of the Mountain Bike Podcast. We're going to talk mountain bikes again tonight. And we're recording this a bit earlier than normal, Stephen, because I am on my way to San Luis Obispo tomorrow. He's rubbing it in, guys. Yep, it's going to be good. If anybody doesn't know where that is, it's the spot in California that you don't really need to know about. Never need to go there. Don't yeah, it's a terrible it. place. Terrible you should place. never go there. Never go there. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be good. Going to get in some good riding, uh, good mountain bike riding, good ride along the coastline. It's going to be awesome. So, yeah, I'm going to not do anything this you gonna weekend. going to rehab your knee? Yeah. Still, yeah. Good. <laughs> I'm going to do some differential equations homework. And nice. Physics stuff. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, it... This is the podcast where we talk about mountain bikes, and you can find it at mtbpodcast.com. You can find this on iTunes or whatever other podcast app you listen to. You can share it from there. You can review it. We've got a bunch more reviews. We'll get into that in just a bit. But five stars, please. And if you don't feel like we deserve a five-star review, just let us know what we can do better. And we're very much open to feedback. We're always trying to improve. So we can find, you know, maybe something we can improve, right, Stephen? Yeah. yeah. Change and, it around. And you can follow us on Instagram at, at mtbpodcast.com. Twitter at the MTB podcast. Yes. You can like our Facebook page, interact with us there, like our pictures, tag us in pictures. Yes. Have fun. All over the Let's place. interact. Indeed. Uh, some reviews really quick. <clears throat> we just read a few reviews that we get every, every week and some good ones right here from MS two, four, seven. I assume that's miss, uh, but I could be wrong. I love the podcast. I've learned so much so far just from your first 12 episodes. Keep up the great work. How about the next one, Stephen? We got uh, Bro Approved by, it says Pope Inc. is his name. Nice. And it says, I'm a veteran rider of 44 years and a six foot four inch Clydesdale. These guys get technical, but everything, but explain everything so you can talk the lingo with your local bike shop and learn from their trial and error so you don't have to. Keep it going, boys. That's what we're here for, just yep. guinea pigs. Yep. We're your guinea pigs. We are. Yep. That's how we work. <laughs> Uh, next one, don't change what ain't broke. Great podcast and nerdy info is great. The inside knowledge of doing high end builds is perfect for us longtime riders and racers. Maybe a future full suspension budget build. And he says non Yeti, <laughs> which, Hey, I mean, we would, but we like building up those bikes personally. Maybe yeah. we will have something like that. I'm, I'm possibly planning to do my five, five, um, as a budget build and then slowly but surely kind of tick it up and change things how I want. But since it's not my full priority, my priority is XC racing, yep. that enduro bike can, you know, live with not the highest end stuff. Yep. So yeah, we may end up doing that, but it'll probably still be a Yeti and because it's going to be in my garage. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to have a Cannondale this year as well. That's news for everybody. I'm going to have a Cannondale that's going to be a good middle of the row build. There we are. So yeah, more news on that later. Sat there we are. We're 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 satisfying your needs right there. Uh, training info is amazing with the added layer of nutrition beyond eating or beyond not eating pizza and beer the night before a race. Yeah, that's true. I guess we do go a little deeper Wait, than you that. You don't. You're not supposed <laughs> to do that. What? <laughs> Believe it or not. Uh, keep up the great work and and show. Please don't change. Well, hopefully we'll just improve. How about yes. that? So, uh, let's uh, get into things really quick with uh, the news. News team assemble. First thing, Steven, we've got a pretty cool race coming up. We've talked about it before, the TDS Enduro. The which, Dirty Sanchez. Yes, we should always explain these acronyms that we use. Yes. Um, it's coming up. 
Do you want to give some updates on it, man? What's um, going down? We are going to be, I'm going to be there working the entire weekend. I don't know if you're going to come down and just hang out the whole time or what you're planning on doing. We're probably going to be there Friday, Saturday. Yeah. And I'll be there for, I, I think that I'll just be taking photos yep. and getting some cool podcast content for all the listeners, which I mean, you'll be involved in that too, I'm of sure. Course. Um, I'm going to actually be probably in charge of shuttling all the... Yeah. racers around or something. You're going to be driving a UTV. Yeah. But Ron still hasn't told me exactly what I'm going to do. And his guy that's in charge of all the logistics, Will Fogelman is a friend of mine. And he, they just keep asking, can you do this? Can you do that? And <laughs> I keep answering yes. So they haven't really pinned me down with anything. That's yet. kind of what you do. You're a good hearted person. You yeah. always say yes to that stuff. So, so but um, as it turns out, we're going to have Friday evening after all the racers do their practice, they have what they call the throwdown. Um, It's a WTB-sponsored event, WTB in Cannondale, and we will um, have basically a party at Old Republic Brewing in Nevada City, Um, and they're phenomenal brewing. They've got a really cool big parking lot and just a really good ambiance, and there's just going to be probably a 1,000 people there. It's um, the last three years in a row, it's by far the biggest revenue night for Old Republic. Like That's how many people go wow. to it, and it's phenomenal. And that's in Nevada City, you yeah, said? Yeah, it's up in Nevada City. So it's right and next door to Grass Valley where the race is. Yeah, Nevada City mm. has a huge, well, it used to be bigger, I guess, but a huge criterium that yeah. goes on. It's still really big, Yeah, big road race. So it's cool to see the mountain bikers bring the bring the revenue. Yeah. So, um, so we're going to have some live content from there, and then we'll also be recording a podcast with uh, Marco Osborne, um, Ripper, Ripper, EWS, Mason Bond, who is a friend also, and he's just a really good all around, just ridiculous shredder. Um, and then also the man himself, you know, Mr. Badass Mark Weir, the legend, the legend. Yep. Pretty cool. And then we'll have Ron Sanchez on with us at the same time. So it's going to be actually in the compound. They just built a new sky bar um, for spectating and just not for spectating the race, but you kind of oversee the RC track and the RC rock crawling track and the pit bike stuff. Oh, dude, the after race activities there daily are what is going to be awesome. So is there a pit bike race? There is a pit bike race. I'm already calling that I'm going to win that. Well, you better bring your pit bike and your A game. <laughs> I'm not bringing a pit bike. I'm going to borrow one. Okay. But my game is on point on pit bikes. Okay. Oh, yeah. There you go. So we used to have story time. Sorry to, to digress here, but um, so we used to, back in my moto days, we used to build tracks like with full on like tractors and everything else, like Bobcats, specifically for pit bikes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like we used to, I, I mean, like seriously insane speeds, like scrubbing foot pegs and almost hitting bars off of lips on pit bikes. Okay. And, uh, yeah, good stuff doing going off lips. And when your friend is that close in front of you, you do a Superman and you kick their bars. So <laughs> then they can't, they actually just stop on the lip and they end up crashing lots of great things. Okay. Um, we've, we've broken a wheel off the front of a motorcycle before because I've T-boned somebody so hard. Okay. That happened literally sheared their front wheel off. So wow. I'm I'm in. Well, man. Grass Valley boys, the gauntlet has been thrown, <laughs> thrown down, down by Jonathan. I'm bringing my helmet. I'll, I'll bring gloves and goggles, and I'm I'm there for business. Okay. All right. All right. This but is gonna, gonna be the coolest race. Yeah. And we're gonna record a podcast there while you know everybody's having dinner and partying after. It's gonna be good. The first day of racing. And one thing that I want to cover with this, so um, I want to cover basically like a 101, a 101 course more or less. And of course, I say a podcast on enduro racing because with Marco, um, with Mark Weir and really all in you and and everybody there, we are going to have a a depth of experience 
that isn't found in a lot of places with enduro. I mean, Mark has been, Mark preceded enduro. Yes. And Mark is one of the best riders in the U.S. I mean, he's the king of Downeyville. Yes. He will always be the king of Downeyville. Yeah. And he's won at how many? 19? Something ridiculous like that. So I think that that's a great opportunity. So stay tuned for that episode. It's going to be really cool. And we're going to break down really the tips from the guys on what to do with all of that, uh, with, with enduro racing. So pretty cool stuff. Um, Look forward to it. Um, Yeah, it's going to be exciting. So uh, the other thing. I wanted to give everybody an update on the whiskey off road, which is a sweet race, by the way. Yes. Um, up in Prescott, Arizona, that one is 85% full on registration. Already. It's filling up quick. Yep. I think Carson city off road isn't far off from that too. They're like almost 70%. I yeah. think. And it w- last year it filled up long before, uh, the race day. So, um, yeah, I would, re- I would reg for that if you can. Yeah. Um, it's pretty cool. They've got 15 thirties and fifties, uh, that, or I should say a 15 proof, a 30 proof and a 50 proof route, which is pretty cool. And though that course is absolutely awesome. You've got elevation to deal with. You've got varying climates. It's really cool. So, and of course we've talked about this before, but Epic Ride just does the best you know, events like they just do. the weekend of awesome times. We always so, say that they yep. just do. Yep. They do so go ride their events, go race their events, just sign go, up, have fun, go do it. Uh, next bit of news. YT, they nabbed the director of good times. I like that. <laughs> that was good. That was an awesome headline. Kudos to YT yes. for saying that. Of course, as we all know, the director of good times is Brett Tippy. Uh, Tippy's the man. If any of you, uh, and I hope that I'm not overstepping my bounds, Tippy, but and if any of you go to a mountain bike event and you see Tippy there, you can probably just walk up to him and say hi. And I guarantee you, he will take a bit of time out unless he's super busy, yeah. but he'll probably take some time out of his day to just talk to you. He's genuinely a good person and he is so much fun. See how so, genuine he is. Ask him for five bucks. See what happens. He'll probably have like a, a slick one liner to deliver. He has those It'll everywhere. Be funny at least. It'll be hilarious. Yeah. yeah. He's a great guy. So, and it's cool to see YT grab him um i i think i don't know if this comes from germany but the because that's it's a german company but stateside here the people that they're building up with that company it's building up a pretty cool culture a it good is. culture there so yeah. i mean with cam kind of directing a lot of things with that i think cam is probably very cognizant of that and he's building it intentionally so yeah pretty cool yeah uh one thing that you and I, so you just watched it. I watched it for the second time and I was, I'm not complaining about seeing it the second time. I want to watch it a third time. Yeah. Dream ride two was a video with Mike Hopkins. He was the writer and Diamondback. They were the ones that, that, that produced it or sponsored it. And it is one of the coolest riding videos I've ever seen. It's actually, it's cool because nothing super technical, nothing super hairy, but it's just a well, I guess the videography it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. It's so it's good. phenomenal. And, and one cool thing about it too, that I really like is you can kind of play like find that location or name that location. When you watch it, the locations that they go to are like far ends of the earth, very literally yeah. super cool. So, um, if you can name the volcano location that they're at, that one should be an easy grab, <clears throat> shoot us a message and let us know. Um, and we'll pick somebody from that and we'll send them something from that. So we're going to send them a lava rock. Yeah. I'll send you. A, yeah. I think I have one from Hawaii, but oh, we'll no, send got you some something. swag. We'll send yeah. you something. We'll send you something. Um, so if you can tell me what mountain he was riding on, uh, when he was in the volcano section, then we'll get it to you. That's the specific one. I bet it was in Africa somewhere. Was it Kilimanjaro? Tell I me it was Kilimanjaro. Say. I can't say. Okay. 
I mean, there are volcanoes everywhere. Kilimanjaro is a volcano, right? Uh, I think so. I'm just kidding. Let's right? roll it with is. it. It is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, the other thing, UCI, uh, they announced the world champs. They're in Cairns, as I believe you're supposed to say it. Uh, Cairns, Australia. Is there an R in there? There is. C-A-I-R-N-S. But they say Cairns. But I don't know if it's just the accent or you're supposed to say it like Cairns. Is that the film festival? Uh, yeah, kind of like that too. Okay. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, Good. all one and the same. But this is up in the jungle on the north coast of Australia. They've had it there recently, actually, I think. Um, or maybe it was just the XC side of things. I don't know. I don't but, remember what they had there, but something was there recently. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's crazy. That's where the spiders are larger than your head and they eat poisonous, lethal poisonous snakes for snacks. Yeah. Yeah, if you want to... And bats don't eat them because they will die as well. Terrifying. If you look up Cairns or Cairns um, spider on Google, and if you are afraid of spiders, do not do this because you won't sleep. If you are not afraid of spiders, you're just going to be absolutely blown away. But it's going down September 5th through 10th up there in Australia. Oh. Yeah. Those are the sparrow killers. That's what they call those yes. things, don't they? Oh, those are terrifying. There's a picture of one on Google, and the spider is hanging upside down from its web, and a snake that has to be four or six feet long is hanging out of its mouth. And it's just in the process of digesting the snake. Sorry if you're eating. It's probably pretty gross. Yeah. But it's pretty terrifying. And I'm not afraid of spiders. Don't care about them. That's not a spider, though. That's but, like a small dog. <laughs> yeah. But snakes, don't you dare bring one close to me. Yeah. Yeah. And for anybody listening to this, don't, don't you... I feel like I just made myself vulnerable to people, but... Then you should love that spider. If it's it, eating I, snakes, I do. you should love that I spider. I do. We're great friends. Okay, yep. good. So that's going down September 5th through 10th. Uh, that's XC, I believe. Downhill, you're going to have, I think, Eliminator again this year, because Eliminator is coming back. Uh, you'll have, yeah, uh, so under 23, men's, women's, the whole deal. Yeah. Juniors, the whole, the whole deal. So pretty cool. A race came back recently, which is rare to see a race coming back these days, an iconic race, but the Cactus Cup from Arizona, it's an XC race mm-hmm. and it's old school, man. Like the Cactus Cup used to be a legendary race Yeah, and it came back. It was kind of, it, not a whole lot of noise was made about it beforehand. So the turnout, I don't think was exactly what they thought it was going to be. And I don't know if that was because or maybe they, they did keep it underground. It. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But, um, it's pretty cool. Kudos to Specialized for doing a throwback on their hardtail. Did and you see that thing? No, I didn't. It was like painted and designed to be exactly like in appearance, their older one. Oh, gotcha. It's pretty cool. Okay. So I, I did like that. that I do awesome. like that they brought a Super D into it too. So it's like yeah. not only do we have a 40-mile XC race, but we've got a Super D as well. Yep. And uh, yeah, pretty cool race. Uh, Rose Grant ended up winning the women's race. Kudos to you, Rose Grant. Yep. Awesome stuff. Uh, then it also, uh, I should cover the, the whole podium, I guess. Kate Courtney got second, uh, which, by the way, I remember at an XC race one time, I was suffering brutally hard when I first started racing, and Kate Courtney, like, lapped me. It was bad, man. It was bad. Yeah. Not that Kate Courtney lapped me, but I was in dark times, and when she lapped me, she was so happy, and I was just thinking, how can somebody be that happy right now? I'm like sweating bullets, not, and this is like one of my first ex And she's races. still clearly gone oh, a she, lot further than yeah, you. And she already. was just so happy and so kind yeah. when she passed by, and it just was, yeah. I think that's her demeanor in general. Uh, yep, yeah, so kudos to you, Kate, Courtney, on a second. Chloe Woodruff got third, um, so awesome stuff. By the way, kudos to Rose Grant, because she's coming back from a pretty gnarly knee surgery, so... It's really yeah. Good you to can see. even on the podium, you can you actually can see, see her scar. Yeah, yeah. It's still awesome. nice and purple too. Yeah, pretty awesome. So good job, Rose. That's really cool. Yep. And on the men's, 
Christopher Blevins won. And if you don't know that name, you should. Uh, he is a junior racer. He was racing for the whole athlete team, I believe, last year, but maybe somewhat of a hybrid with specialized team. Yeah. And now he's on the Action Hoggins Berman team, which is the Axel Merckx's road team. It's the junior. It's really one of the best teams in the U.S. Like at the Tour of California, it seems like it's always the best placing U.S. team. Yeah. You know, Cannondale is technically U S based. Yes. I think BMC kind of is too, but, yeah. but they do so well. And Chris Blevins is doing some road this year and some XC. And I really expect him to threat, be a threat for the national championship this yeah. year. He's oh, just so good. Yeah. So, um, yeah, good job. Chris Blevins, uh, second place went to Fernando Riveros. So good go- Good job, Fernando. And then Todd Wells, man, still going, got third place. Yeah. So pretty cool, man. Good Todd's job. Like Todd. what? 43 now. I don't know. I'm kidding. I don't think he's that old. I don't but. think he's that old, but he's just, he's just <clears throat> carries on and talk about another kind and happy person. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, really good dude. So awesome stuff. Uh, another thing specialized launches, they're, they're launching a global women's ambassador program and they're just taking applications. So you can check this out on pink bike. You can go look at it and they're looking to get more women on bikes. Yep. Pretty cool. I like to see that. So, uh, Another bit, the MTB Oceania Continental Champs happened, and in the XC race, somebody that usually don't see at the front of an XC race was at the front of the XC race for the first couple laps. Well, yeah, you know, Graves is honestly a a powerhouse. Like he's he's a force to be reckoned with pedaling. I mean, he really is ridiculous. It doesn't matter. I'm sure if you put him on a dirt bike, he shreds too. You know, well, there's a reason, you know, if he can win the Australian national downhill championships on an SB six C with a Fox 40 on it, he can pedal an XC race and be fast. And he had the whole shot and then didn't look back and he was leading for a while. Then he crashed and he said that it just kind of made his whole body shut down. Yeah. And I've, I know that that happens sometimes. Yeah. And then he ended up uh, drifting back to fourth. Yeah. Which still, still, I mean, you're a pro enduro racer to yeah. be mixing it up like that is just amazing. So good job, Jared. And then, uh, Anton Cooper took the win, which I mean, I would be surprised if that didn't happen. He is extremely strong. Yeah. So uh, when he showed up at the U S uh, I don't know if it was last year or the year before to race some of the pro XCTs. It was like different level. Yeah. Like, and he's he one of those gone. decisive, like he just goes out on a mission and he's kind of like JC or, you know, Jerome Clements is, yep. you know, on enduro, just, he finds a way to be faster in every little spot. He's yep. just very precision. He's a surgeon when it comes so to good. writing XC. So good. So, so yeah. Another uh, bit of news, Nino Schroeder is not on DT Swiss forks and shocks anymore. Yeah. That's kind of a big deal. That is. I I don't I don't really know anything behind it or why or what the you know what the deal is, but he's on rock shots. Uh, yeah. He's running the now he's a World Cup racer, and all those guys remember they it is extremely crucial if they get a flat that they can change it quickly, their pit crew. That's why most of those guys don't run the RS1. Yeah. That said, the RS1 is it's it's heavier than that fork, but it is a better performing fork as yes. a fork. It certainly is. But in XC, I think that they can they're just looking for weight advantage, then that tire changing is key. And with an RS1 tire changes, if you're trying to do something rapid, yeah, it's a mess. But for all of you that are listening to this, quit thinking that that's important for you. Yeah. <laughs> I guess for the most for the majority. And this is coming from me, and I hope this doesn't sound, you know, arrogant or anything, but this is coming from me and I'm a top level XC racer and you know, a cat one XC racer, I should say, here in the US. Yeah. 
It doesn't, man. It doesn't matter. No. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So really not a big deal. Um, but it's interesting to see that. So he's got the new SID up front um, that's extremely light. It's as light as the Fox Step cast fork. It's yep. just, uh, or really darn close. Yeah. And then he's running the Super Deluxe Rear Shock, uh, which is pretty cool to see. So yeah, interesting. Then the last bit of news, Cali, uh, they released something. They're, they call, they're calling it the Interceptor Helmet. And it has this layer in it called the low density layer. And it actually is really similar to the concept behind the six D helmet designs, Yeah, which six D by the way, has a really clever design where basically there's a layer inside the helmet. And I know actually somebody who works for six D now. And at some point, maybe around sea otter, we'll actually have him on the podcast. Okay. He tends to have a sailor's mouth. So we'll probably have to have the bleep thing ready. That's okay. But, um, we have, always have it ready with me around anyway. It's sailor Neil, <laughs> but everybody has a friend like that, right? Yep. So Neil, I'm sure you're listening to this. So I, I nothing but love, but so you can probably tell us how similar this is to 6D, uh, Neil, but it basically, they have these like little rubber, they almost look like, um, suction cups almost, but they're not really, I shouldn't say that kind of like rubber tubes. Think, think Lego. Lego. Yeah. Think yes. Legos. And basically it's like a separation layer to allow the foam and everything else that's touching your head to rotate independently of the shell. It's a deflection layer is really what that low density layer is. It's going to absorb some impact, but it's also going to take reno- mm. rotational inertia and deflect it so that it actually deflects the energy away. Much better than MIPS. <clears throat> MIPS. Yeah. MIPS it's a different is, way to do it. I think that it's probably a little bit better way than MIPS. Honestly, yes, it is, yeah. but yeah, especially in mount- uh, on the bike side, it's better than MIPS. Yeah. MIPS in general. Yeah. MIPS is, I mean, MIPS, <clears throat> MIPS is good, Yeah, but it's, it's also, let's be real with the MIPS thing. It was a cheap technology to implement. Oh, and, absolutely. And so, you know, it was a way for people, for helmet companies and sorry for saying this, but it was a way for helmet companies to basically charge a higher markup for a cost that was not going to be much greater for them at all. Yeah. Because when you look at a mountain bike helmet and what they have in MIPS, it's not much, man. But you look at a dirt bike helmet, what it has in MIPS, a little more substantial. Yeah. But still, the 6D actually has a whole layer and it's got like cones, basically like it looks like an hourglass and it has a bunch of those little things and it looks like they're stuck around the shape of the helmet. And those really do allow not only deflection, like, you know, moving around with the shell, but also a lot of absorption too. Yeah. And this looks like another way to do it. Yeah. So pretty cool. Um, good job, Callie. On and that. this looks like it's a really well-vented helmet too. So that's pretty cool. Yes. Yeah. That's, and honestly... I know a lot of bros go for like, um, the Smith forefront, for example, is like a really common helmet to pick. Yeah. Um, but that Smith helmet is so bad on ventilation. Oh, it's terrible. And it's because if you think about it, it's got that core on there and it's got little tubes extending just outward at the angle from your head. Right. And wind does not travel downward into your helmet. It travels from the front into yeah. your helmet and needs a way to escape. Yeah. And in this case, that, that layer, that core on layer doesn't allow the air in and out like that. You'd think, Oh, well, it's just all holes. You know, it would help. It'll allow like vertical, just like exhaust, like evaporation, like heat leaving the top of your head just yeah. fine. But the problem with that is that heat will stay stagnant if it doesn't have air rushing over your head. Yeah. So it's really hot. So that's something to consider when you're looking at a helmet. If you're looking at performance, safety should be number one. Then number two, you should look at fit, obviously, within there. That kind of ties in with safety, but venting is so important. Oh, totally. Don't let appearance trump venting on that. So that's why I run a POC. The thing is, like, massively vented. So, And you don't look terribly stupid in it either. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I try hard. (laughs) Let's go into the questions. Question. 
It's a ridiculous question. False. Well, that's debatable. This one is from Alan. He says, hi guys, love the podcast. I feel like I'm going to a bike store talk the, and talk the lingo. You've done a lot of trial and error, so we don't have to. I bet this is the guy that left the review. It sounds like the same kind of thing there. Sounds similar. Yep. Um, he says, as my name implies, I'm 6'4", 240, and 44 years old and shopping for a new bike. I'm currently riding an 04 Giant VT3. That's vintage right there. I think that's what VT stands for. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what it said. <laughs> it stood for vintage when it was released. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry for 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 knocking on that. We're we're not meaning anything. Yeah, Ill. we're no yeah. ill will there. Um, I, and he says, and I'm tired of getting catapulted off on every drop I encounter. Not really, but it can get scary. I live in SoCal, so I encounter moderate climbs and rocky rocky droppy descents. I ride with some younger bros on Nomads, Tracers, even an old Kona coiler with a 180 mil front fork. We do go to bike parks, Mammoth and Big Bear. At my age, I'm fine going really fast and going around large senders and drops. I am really interested in knowing if a high tower 21, 29 would do most of what I want. I don't mind renting an M16 at Mammoth, but would like an all purpose horse that would help me on the climbs and handle my weight going down. I don't race, but want a bike that I can keep for quite a few years. By the way, I'm trying to get down to 252, 20 pounds with more riding. Any suggestions? Hope you're healing up well, Steven. Oh, that's nice of him. Yeah. Alan. I'm- I'm healing up very well. Yeah, you are. Um, four weeks post-op today. Yeah. Um, no brace, no crutches, no cane, just a tiny bit of a limp because I'm having a little bit of an issue, you know, with it, you know, just being sore after yeah. a whole day of walking around on it. That happens. Um, I probably have to slow down in physical therapy. <laughs> I'm going a little bit too fast right now. That's, I, I, that's probably par for the course yeah. with you. Yeah. But things are good. Assume. Things are going really good. Good. So... His bike. Let's talk about this. A Hightower 29. First, let's just talk about that bike for somebody that's 6'4 and 240 and also 44 years old. So he's not necessarily looking to hit big drops or jumps, but he certainly doesn't shy away from some chunder from time to time. Yeah. I, I think a Hightower could be a very good bike for him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's definitely going to need an XL. Yes. Um, you know, if you're talking about a Yeti, he's going to be on the verge between a large and an extra large, but on a Santa Cruz, he's firmly in the XL territory. A specialized, I would say he's going to be in the XL territory too. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, with the high tower, the big thing, especially your weight is you're going to have to beef up that rear shock. You need mm-hmm. to put a float X two on it, or you need to put, um, you know, a, a super deluxe, even a super deluxe coil or a DHX two, you know, something like that. But depending on the build that you're looking at, I mean, the, the high tower comes really well equipped already. Make sure you go with the one fifty fork, not the one forty fork. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> the one thing with the shock that you brought up there, a coil would not be a bad idea since you weigh more. Yeah. Cause you know, if you're running an air shock, that thing could get pretty hot, pretty quick. And that's why I say he needs a big piggyback shock. If he's going to yeah, because that Santa Cruz is pretty progressive too. Yep. So that means that it's going to put some stress on that shock. Yeah. So yeah, a coil could be a good idea in this case. Yep. And going to give you extra bro points with your bros. Of course. Because it's a coil. So he says, uh, that last part that he said, I'm trying to get down uh, to 215, 220, somewhere around there with more riding. Any suggestions? Quickest weight loss suggestions that I can give to people with that is time your meals uh, so that you are looking so that it's fuel for your riding and basically change your perspective on what instead of just eating because you love to eat or because you just, you need to eat three square meals a day. Cause that's what you've always done. Instead, look at your meals as fuel and like you're putting gas in a tank. And so fuel yourself for the ride. 
but then if you're not riding that day or after the ride, don't worry about going light on dinner or going light on breakfast or going, going light on lunch if it doesn't precede a ride. So you're saying drink whiskey. You said fuel the tank. <laughs> yeah, 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 okay. exactly, Stephen. Um, now, this may seem, <clears throat> I guess, um, contradictory to what I just said, but you can also use fasted training to a certain extent. The only difficulty a lot of people have with that is they end up getting pretty worn down, and it does take a toll on your body. So it does. it's you have to be really precise with that. So basically, a, a really easy way for you to do fasted training is to eat dinner at a normal time, two to three hours before you go to bed, you know, or further out from that, then go to bed without loading yourself up with glycogen with like, you know, midnight ice cream or anything like that. Yeah. And then when you wake up, your muscles are going to be in a more glycogen depleted state. So that basically doesn't, you aren't going to reach complete depletion. That's kind of not really, you would be like in the hospital if that was the case, Yeah. but it will be depleted. A depleted level is just a lower level of glycogen. Exactly. And then when you start out in the morning, uh, don't eat anything. Uh, If you're a coffee drinker, have some coffee. Uh, If you aren't a coffee drinker, take a caffeine pill. If you don't like a caffeine pill, just don't worry about it. And start out and uh, just ride for an hour to an hour and a half and then just fuel like it's a normal ride. So if you're a goo type of guy or you're a bar type of guy or whatever else, just eat then, but don't try to make up for that lost meal that you skipped in the morning before your ride. Just eat like normal. Um, that hour to an hour and a half can really be helpful because you'll get to a point where your body will hopefully start to build. If you do this routinely, it will start to build more reliance upon fat stores for fuel rather, or fat that you're getting from food rather than working on just using glycogen only. So most of us eat a really, really heavy diet in glycogen or just sugar. That's why we're sugar burners. I should say, yeah, not glycogen, but sugar. So, uh, we usually eat like, you know, a lot of bread, a lot of everything else like that. And our body just thinks, man, this is easy to burn. I don't need to worry about all this fat. I can just keep storing it on the body. But this is a good way for you to change the tides on your body and make it use some fat. Another big thing, first thing in the morning when I get up, big glass of water. Yeah. Water. People don't consume enough water. It's true. Typically. Um, It's been shown to help with with actual metabolization of fat. Um, But also another thing with that is it does help with the sensation of fullness which can help with people. And for that, I actually recommend drinking sparkling water or mineral water instead of just drinking normal water. If you can do that, especially late at night, that can really help to make you kind of feel more full than you are and reduce any type of, you know, hunger pains that might come from that. Yep. So tips, uh, those are, we're not going into the tips yet, but those are just the tips that we have on losing weight. So yes. <laughs> Joseph, I hope that's how you say it. He says, thanks guys for talking about the direct to consumer point in your last episode. I loved your last discussion about wheel standards too. Could you do the same thing for headsets and handlebars? Keep up the great podcast podcast green dog out figure. We can cover that one more or less pretty quick, right? I don't know. I mean, you're talking short stem, wide bars, long stem, narrow bars, somewhere in between, um, and then headset standards. Does this require a a separate podcast? This is probably going to require a separate podcast. Okay. So we will, Joseph, we will discuss that. I promise you. That is probably going to be part of a, um, it's not going to be a full podcast, but I think that's going to be definitely a business section that's going to require us to get a little bit more in-depth about a few other parts in the cockpit, you know, the controls. You bring up a good point with, you know, the stem and then stack height and everything else that you'll be dealing with. and. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we can go deep on that one. Yeah. So Joseph, we just 
didn't answer your question, <laughs> but we will, but we will <laughs> stay tuned. Patrick, he says, Hey guys, loving the podcast. Keep up the good work. This is another suggestion. I wanted to get some suggestions on some tough and affordable all mountain 29er wheels. I am 250 pounds and currently frequency. Um, he's using the industry or I 19 frequency. I 19, forgive me. XT combo is taking a beating. Cheers. We kind of covered this somewhat to somewhat, somewhat in the last one, but, yeah. um, I, you know, some, some, I guess durable, but bargain wheels that you can get. Obviously you've got your stands flow, you know, um, Mark threes. They'll be strong. Something, you know, WTB now took their frequency I series and they have I 25s and 29s. Mm-hmm. Then you've got your ASIM series from them. So you've got the ASIM I 29s, the ASIM I 31s, um, or I 35s. There's a, so there's a bunch from them. You've got, um, pre-built XT wheels from Shimano. You've kind of tank like those things are pretty tough. They're pretty tough. And then you've also got Mavic, you know, they're, um, what is it? They're XA elites. You yeah. Know, those retail for like eight ninety nine, I believe for the wheel, the complete wheel set. And that's a full wheel tire system. So it's going to have tires, tubes, tubeless valves, sealant, everything you could imagine. Um, so those, that's a good wheel set to go with. Um, there's a bunch of options out there, affordable, all mountain, you know, especially your weight, just stick to something with more spokes or something that's stiffer. Don't try to skimp on weight. Yeah. You know, one thing that I'm thinking of too, you could go for something like, um, SRAM's Rome thirties. They're, they are not that expensive at all. Um, but they are pretty well built. Yeah. Um, they're, they're pretty good wheels. If you want to go for something a little wider, they have the Rome forties, the Rome fifties get wider than they have Rome sixties, but those Rome sixties are getting a little more pricey. They're just North of that $1,000 mark. So, and then if you're talking that you've got a bunch of options from DT Swiss, like you've got your, uh, um, your spline two series, um, that's built around the 481 rim. And then you've got the 421 rim. So, I mean, I there's a bunch would, of, I wish options. they would make their naming conventions more simple. I know. Swiss. Yeah. Know? It'd be a lot easier. Yep. So there's some good options for you. Um, I've personally ridden the SRAM Roams and they're good. Uh, I've ridden the DT Swiss for, I can't remember. Um, but I have those as like my, my Enduro wheel set for my ASR. Those things are four oh ones. You have XM four oh ones. And those things for a light person are solid. So it's not too bad there. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's some good suggestions, I hope. Uh Roy. He says, Hello and greetings from Costa Rica. Found this podcast a few days ago and so far I'm loving it. I have a two part question. Number one, I got a specialized Enduro 650B carbon frame. I'm building with my current setup, replacing my DaVinci Troy. So here's the first question. What are the main differences between an SB6C and an Enduro, both positive and negative? Suspension platform is very different. Very. Pedaling efficiency. Um, at least your Enduro is the 650B and not the 29er. Um, the people that I know that have ridden the 29er have had very mixed reviews on its climbing prowess. Yeah, and the, the six. The new one seems like it's improved. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but last year's version. So, right. yeah. yeah. Um, honestly, I, I don't know. There's it's, it's hard to say this is the positive and this is the negative on those frames because I don't know what he's riding. I don't know what his yeah. riding style is. I don't know how he's going to build them up. Yeah, I, I'd say that... Um, the SB6 can have a bit of a harshness, initial harshness, 
um, that, that people can feel at times. And actually we'll get into this a little later in the business section of the podcast. And that's going to mostly be because of the float X rear shock that they use. It can, it can have some initial harshness and that can be frustrating to some. It's also what some people are seeking for too, but it's also fully fixable. Yes. Um, but then on the enduro, you'll have a little bit more initial plushness. That also means you'll have a slightly less stable pedaling platform. Yeah. Uh, that said, the Enduro, when you push it hard, it's going to behave pretty darn well. Um, when you push the SB6C, uh, it's going to behave even better. Like, not better than, well, better than the Enduro, I would say, but what I'm getting at with the even better part is the harder you push that bike, the yeah. better it responds. Yeah, that bike doesn't like to be gingerly ridden like Miss Daisy. It wants to be pushed hard, and that's the only way that you should really ride a six C. Yeah. That's kind of how it goes. Yeah. So, uh, those would be, I guess, our, our points on that. The one thing that the Enduro used to have extremely short length or short reach. Yeah. Like really short reach. Yeah. But I think that's changed. I don't, I haven't looked at the geometry for this yeah, year. I but. think that's changed. So yeah. Uh, then the number two, he says SRAM GX or Shimano XT 11 speed. I want to upgrade for my one up 10 speed setup. <clears throat> I don't blame him for wanting to upgrade there. He's just going to get better shifting. Yeah. So GX or XT, I would probably say, and I know I'm a SRAM guy, but I think I'd probably say go for XT if I, if the prices are around the same. I probably would. Um, if you're talking GX to XT, yeah, I would go with the XT. Because the XT cassette, I'm not <clears throat> sure with this, but I think the XT cassette is going to be lighter because that GX cassette is heavy, man. It's a heavy cassette, It's yeah. got a lot of pins in there, a lot. Yeah. Well, and that's where, you know, I was almost wondering if he should look and find an X0111 speed group instead of going to the Eagle setup. Yeah. Because there's probably some deals to be had, you know, online or at your local bike shop, however you want to do it or however you do it. I don't know how Costa Rica works or, yeah. you know, what your area is like. But, you know, if you can find some X0111 speed stuff. Yeah, or at least the cassette. <clears throat> or just the cassette with your GX parts. Yep. Or the E13 work. TRS plus or TRS race cassette yep. with your SRAM GX. Yeah. I've done a couple of those setups with the TRS plus cassette on a GX one by. Right. And it's been a phenomenal setup. Yeah. And you really aren't, when you're talking about weight in that group set where you're getting the majority of that weight is the cassette. Yep. Exactly. So it weighs a lot. Yep. Um, and the other parts, it's not too much and it's going to function just like, just like Shimano too. XT feels just, or feels very similar to XTR. And when you're talking about um, SRAM, GX shifts when you shift it, when you click the shifters, everything else, it feels very similar. Yep. There is a higher level of refinement and everything else that you get with the top top end stuff. Yeah. But it's pretty darn good. But that's more X01 to XX1, the feel. Yes. X01 and GX are very similar. They really are. So, um, yeah, that covers the questions for this week, Stephen. So let's get straight down to business. It's business time. Steven, in a couple of weeks, one of the biggest mountain bike festivals will be going on. And it's actually not one that get, garners a whole lot of attention from like the press because it's really a mountain bike festival for the average Joe, the people that just ride bikes and like it. Yep. Outer bike Outer is bike. going on. Yep. And it happens in Moab. And there are a lot of people that make the pilgrimage to Moab to Outer Bike because it's really a gigantic demo. That's really what it is. Yeah. That's really what it's about. Yeah. Brands do release some new products there, but it's pretty rare. They usually release those at Sea Otter because yeah. it's only a few weeks later. Yeah. It's a lot easier for them. But Outer Bike is all about demoing bikes. Yes. And you and I have helped with demos before. You've helped with probably many more than I have. Yeah. 
But we, I think that we, this is going to be a comprehensive guide to demoing a bike because believe it or not, you can demo a bike wrong. Yes. And I, I feel like we can shed some light on how you should demo a bike. And we've actually got, um, interviews with two different people, somebody that demoed a bike recently at the Moab spring thaw festival that they have there. And then also with the person that provided that bike for them for that demo. Uh, and I think that we're going to get some good information, but first let's talk about bike demos. Although it seems self-explanatory, Steven, what is a bike demo? So a bike demo is where a particular brand or set of brands of bikes get together and they invite customers through norm, you know, through their bike shops, their local dealers, or, you know, through social media, however, you know, they go about traditional it, marketing, traditional channels. marketing channels. Yeah, exactly. To, uh, come out and ride all the various bikes that said customer has interest in riding. Yeah. And in the, the point behind this, now there's the side that you can look at it from sweet joy ride on brand new bikes. Yep. Like, and cause they're now demo bikes by end of year are usually, you know, well, they're feeling it a bit and they've got, you'd some be surprised at how much demo bikes don't get destroyed and abused. That's true though. Yeah. That's, that's a really good point. And, if and you, that, that leads into part of a reason how people can demo bikes wrong is they don't ride them hard enough. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there we go. This is one thing. Yeah. And you know, you actually bring up a good point with that because the point of you going to a bike demo really should be finding the right bike. Yes. And when you ride those bikes, it shouldn't just, and you can go out for a joy ride and just ride a bunch of, of bikes and just have fun. That's cool. But yeah that's really probably not the best way to just go have fun on bikes because you're going to have to be bouncing back and forth from one bike to the next, getting used to it. There are going to be strange quirks that you don't like about one bike and you don't like about another. And you're just going to be spending your time riding on a bike that might not be ideal. Yeah. But if you are there trying to suss out the differences between these bikes and how you mesh with the bike and how the bike meshes with the type of riding you'll do at home, then it's actually a really productive thing to be spending time on those bikes. Yes. So it's really a matter of perspective. Yeah. And when you go to a demo, you should be looking to whittle the choices down. Yes. And to find something you need. You should already have looked at your geometries, looked at your specs, looked at everything on the bike and figure out which handful you want to demo. Yes. Over the course of that couple days. Yep. You want to pick two to three bikes a day to take on eight to 10 mile rides. Yes. Each. So you can get intimately, you know, in depth with a bike. You don't want to just ride it around a parking lot for 15 minutes and call that (laughs) a demo. And call it good. Yeah. Yeah. Parking lot demos are not demos. No. Um, and I, you can find out, uh, like when bike demos are happening by going, usually going to manufacturers websites and they'll have a demo schedule, yep. which is helpful. Going to your local bike shop, ask them about when that brand that they carry is going to be having a demo. And if they aren't ask them if you can help somehow, because that's another thing. If a brand would like to do a demo there, but the bike shop is shorthanded or they aren't enthusiastic about it. If you, a customer says, Hey man, I'd really be willing to help if you know, the brand were to come and bring these bikes so I could ride them. Yeah. And by help, I mean marketing or, you know, bringing, bringing food, bringing whatever else needs to be done there. Bringing 15 friends that are all going to demo yes. bikes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, that, that's the way you can help. But yeah. To I guess let's cover things from two perspectives. And I so I had a quick conversation with Dacre Dunn. He's uh, he's a Yeti employee. Drink, and I, I'm sorry that it seems like we just covered things from the Yeti perspective. But Dacre's the only bike demo guy I know. So yeah. he was the first one I hit up to talk about demoing bikes, but not from our side, 
from the the demo er side, I guess. Demo e demo demo er something something from the person that's doing the demo. No. The guy who's, oh, I guess doing running the it. demo event. Running it, yes, exactly. Not doing the demos on the bikes. Yes. Okay, yeah. So let's let's take uh, let's just take a, a handful of minutes here and let's listen to that conversation with Dacre and get that perspective. All right, I'm here with Dacre Dunn from Yeti Cycles. How you doing, Dacre? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing well, man. Doing well. I, I'm glad you're with us right now. Uh, we're basically trying to help people understand or better said, get the most out of bike demos. Uh, I've been to a lot of bike demos myself and I've learned that there's actually kind of an art to it. And instead of just representing our perspective, I wanted to represent the other side of things. And you actually, you actually run a lot of bike demos for Yeti. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. So if, I guess if we could start out with what's Yeti's purpose in having bike demos, why do they have bike demos and, and what's the objective? Um, they play a pretty big role, I think just in the terms of, you know, getting people on our bikes because, uh, you know, the way I think about it, I guess is there's no better way to really decide on a bike than actually ride it and see, you know, what bike actually speaks to you. Um, and I think a Yeti that we, you know, we want people to ride our bikes because when they do ride them, you know, that's, that's when they can kind of tell that maybe there's something different going on or, you know, Hey, maybe that isn't a bike for them. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Really, I think it's just good for really to sell our bikes. I think it is a great tool, and I think you know, really, I think it's a great tool for all bike companies for sure. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there are a lot of people right now. Which, by the way, there's kind of an inside joke because Stephen and I, both of us are Yeti ambassadors. We ride Yeti a lot, but so I'm sure that right. there's kind of this drinking game that people, you know, that every time we we say Yeti, they drink. So I think people are going to be fairly oh, sloshed man, after gonna, we talk about we this. Ra- we can be racking them up on this one, I guess. No, I'll try <laughs> yeah. and minimize. so we'll give you guys a mulligan on this one. You don't have to. Um, and really Dacre, you're one of the only demo, um, or people that, that runs demos that I know. Uh, so that's really why I have you on here. But, um, so I guess one thing that I wanted to get your, I guess, just to get, I guess, round out our perspective, what's involved, like, what's the process like, how do you guys pick where to have demos and then what goes into the preparation process to actually go out and carry out those demos? Yeah. So I think, um, kind of the way we really kind of just base our program is we try and follow, you know, the good weather to obviously go places where it is riding season and when people are, you know, looking to ride bikes and, you know, ideally time of the year, um, sort of thing definitely plays a factor. Uh, Mm -hmm. we also like, you know, making it to festivals just because that gets our reach, you know, a little bit further, you know, draws lots of people from around and we love being able to set up with, you know, other bike companies. Cause you know, we find that it works quite well to have, uh, you know, people try our bikes out, get to try others. And, you know, and that's just a good way to really kind of narrow down your decisions, um, kind of on the day of sort of a thing. Right. That makes sense. So, right. and um, do you do other things like, ahead, um, yeah, do you do like, um, I guess I've, I've, I know bike shops, they can, can bike shops individually schedule demos or how does that work? Um, yes. You know, I think the way that we kind of do it, we, uh, you know, we look at our key dealers and, um, we try and, you know, link up with them to do kind of our bigger events sort of a thing and, uh, link up some of the smaller shops as well. 
Awesome. Okay. And then can yeah, yeah. let's, let's say some dude just has a boatload of time or cash or friends that want to buy bikes, whatever it is. Can right, somebody, right. can somebody just like ask you guys to come out and do a demo? Is that not okay? How does that work? Um, you know, that's kind of hard to just schedule in cause Yeti as a company, you know, we're fairly small. We only have kind of two guys on the road full time and then kind of a third person that comes to and helps at bigger events and whatnot. So it's hard to really, you know, be able to have the flexibility to go anywhere and everywhere sort of a thing. So, um, one thing that we have kind of brought uh, new in the last year or so is actually a factory demo program out of Yeti, which has been really huge. Granted, that's one location, which definitely doesn't help out most of the people out there. Um, right. But I think, you know, for getting on a, dem- a Yeti demo, it's, you know, your best bet is going to be trying to find, look at big festivals. Uh, you know, that's where we try and um, make it out to and generally stick around those areas and hit, you know, all of our shops that we can while we're, you know, in those areas. Okay, cool. That makes sense. So what goes into the preparation to actually leave? Like what, you know, what do you drive and how do you decide which bikes to bring? And I'm sure that's got to be quite a process to to decide and load all that up. (laughs) Um, We kind of run with a sprinter van and a trailer. We usually haul, you know, kind of around 30 to 35 bikes. And our kit more or less doesn't change unless we're going to a really big festival, let's say Outer Bike, which is actually coming up here in a couple weeks um, in Moab. That's one of our biggest ones. So, you know, we're going to take down some auxiliary bikes. But generally, you know, I just bring a full kit, at least a side run of everything and, um, generally doubles of mediums and larges. So, um, we just try and, you know, carry where we see the most people riding bikes, but really we try and cover all the bases. So. Okay. That's a lot of bikes, man. (laughs) That's a lot of bikes. It's it's definitely a pretty good stack of bikes. You know, obviously trying to make sure everything is running in good order, looking good. You know, that's all things that we have to juggle as well. And then how do you, what do you carry them? What do you carry them in? Uh, Like, is it like, what do you, what do you load the bike? Yeah. What do you, because I've seen some demos just done with a sprinter van, but that's a lot of bikes. Right. Right. Um, we don't utilize any sort of a racking system in our setup. We kind of just use blankets, which, you know, definitely some people don't think looks pro, but I think it's really the best way to pack a large number of bikes and minimize trailer damage. Cause yeah, it's a good point. Not, bikes even riding racked in a trailer, you know, you get lots of random rub and whatnot. So we've just found the blanket trick works the best. It's yep. super versatile and whatnot. So, you know, I guess huh. if it's loaded up and I needed to get one out of the back, that's not ideal, but Hey, that's why you guys <laughs> have to be thinking ahead. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then I assume you pack those into like a trailer and, or, and the van right. or you just, is so are both uh, loaded right. up with bikes? We, yeah, I run pretty much all demo bikes in the trailer and up front. It's just, uh, we actually just got a, our van built out with a sleeping platform and kind of like a storage slash workbench kind of cabinet area. Sweet. All lined with stainless steel. Looks pretty sweet. The guys at nice. Tourig up in Netherlands. Actually, I think they're moving to Golden, but they did that for us. So it looks pretty stellar. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And then I guess yeah. the, the other questions that I would get. So now you're you're at the demo, you have all the bikes out. Um, I guess what is your hope when, or I, let's actually cover the mistakes first. 
what mistakes do you see sure. people make or, or, and even if it's not a mistake, what things do you see people do where you think, man, they could be doing that and getting so much more out of their demo experience? Um, let's see. Well, I think as long as you have an idea of what kind of writing you do and you're, I guess if you have an interest of, you know, say, Oh, I'm kind of want to try some 29ers or 27 five, or if I want a, a trail bike versus more of an enduro bike, I think if you can have that sort of thing narrowed down, just that will help kind of narrow your, uh, field of search, I guess. <laughs> Cause awesome. if someone comes and they're like, oh, I just want something in, uh, medium or something <laughs> close in my, you know, it's like, well, come on, you kind of got to narrow it down a little bit. At that that point, makes sense. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I also don't want people to like be narrow minded and like, Oh, I only want a six inch travel bike when really there may be a lot of people out there that, you know, it's not the most useful tool and maybe something more like a short travel 29 or might be a lot more fun than they would ever imagine. <laughs> So, yeah. So yeah. I guess have in mind what type of writing you plan to do, um, but be open to trying different things. And, and is it okay for them? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, is it okay for them to ask you questions too on, on, on what type totally. of bike they should ride? Uh, yeah. You know, I think if someone is confused, you know, I always just kind of ask, uh, you know, what, where they find themselves riding most of the time. And it's like, okay, well, you should check out a bike in this category. Um, and I just think, yeah. I think that a lot of people are probably intimidated a bit by the review, just, or sorry, the demo process, you know, yeah. um, they, they show up, yeah. it's a lot of new bikes and they're going out and taking out something that's super expensive. And, and in most cases, sure. if not brand new, really new. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I, yeah, I've yeah. always found I that definitely not having, not having any, like no reservations. Like if you have questions, I think people should ask all of them. Awesome. I mean, I'm never shy to answer even the simplest of questions. You know, I don't ever, you know, it's, it's all a learning experience and, you know, I hope everyone else out there that's doing my job is as big of a nerd as me and I'm happy to answer by questions. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so what, what things do you feel like people should bring to a demo? Um, what, what things should they bring with them? Cause, uh, do, or I guess, should we start, should they bring the bike that they have? Uh, you know, I prefer people to really like not bring their own bikes unless of course, if you're trying to, you know, want to use your pedals or something, you don't have a tool. That's great. But, um, I think that's not necessarily a thing that you should go out of your way to try and do, right. I guess. Yeah. I mean, right. because where are you going to keep the bike too? You know, you don't want to pass that yeah, liability you know, kinda, on to it, it can somebody. be kind of hectic. I would just say, you know, as long as you're there prepared to ride like any ride. And I mean, if you are picky on pedals, be sure and bring your own pedals. <laughs> okay. Other than that, just like, yeah, know your weight. And if you have an idea of a bike that you're at least, you know, curious about or like a style of bike, then at least go with that or ask the questions to find the right path. What pedals do you guys keep on or there with you at the demo area? Do you, do you keep pedals like flats or anything like that? Yeah, you know, we have, we have loaner flats, SPDs and crank brothers, nice. so, you know, sometimes, especially, oh, you know, anyone that rides something like a, a time, you know, they're going to want to bring their own pedal, but right. That's, that's pretty and, cool. You know, I didn't know that you pedals, had all that. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely live a tough life. So if you're like, oh, I really like a quality <laughs> platform pedal, then, you know, you better bring one that you know you like. Right. That makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah. So what what are mistakes that you see people do when they are demoing? Um, are there any things that kind of grind your gears, so to speak, as a person that runs bike demos but, uh, that you see people do? Basically, the goal with this is how can we be better stewards at a demo? Hmm. 
man. Uh, I mean, nothing really jumps out at me that people just do blatantly wrong. I guess if, mm-hmm. if you ask questions, just be able to, you know, take the answers and, uh, I guess like not argue if you already like had your mind made up one way or the other sort of a thing. Right. I don't know if I'm really portraying like getting my point across on that, but yeah, um, I can, I can see, I I can see that. Yeah. People kind of coming in and like on rear suspension systems, it's, you know, everyone tends to kind of pick a side on a, on a suspension system of what they think is best. And if you're going to ask those questions, ask them to learn rather than just ask to, you know, debate or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but I guess, you know, some people like doing that. I'm not, it's no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> How long should you take a demo bike out for as, as oh, the person that is, that is demoing? Question, actually, I think that definitely depends on the venue. Like there are some, you know, there's some things like I was just in Moab for Thaw Festival and, you know, on Sunday they had a shuttle um, option. So, you know, I assume if you're going to go do the shuttle option, you're going to have the bike for a few hours, but you know, generally if it's set up in a spot where it's like a quick loop place, you know, you kind of want to keep it around to an hour and maybe try multiple bikes and just, you know, make sure everyone has a chance to try whatever they want. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, when you show up to a demo day, it's always a bummer when the bike that you want is out and it's, it's out for hours because somebody's out just joyriding (laughs) on the thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, how long does it take you guys to set up? And then how long does it take you to take everything back down and pack it all up? Oh man, that, you know, usually if I'm solo, I can usually get it done in about an hour or so. Okay. Usually a little less if I'm like really going for it, but you never know. Sometimes, you know, get visitors come up and you end up chatting and things get strung up, but set up and tear down isn't too bad, but that's definitely, you know, it's a bit of a project to load and unload 30 bikes. I'm sure. (laughs) I'm sure. Well, cool, Daker. Thank you, man. I, I feel like we've got the the demoer and demoee side uh, covered with these these two different calls. So I appreciate your Excellent. your information, Excellent. experience, and feedback. Yeah, you bet, man. Thanks for uh, having me on the show. Sure thing. All right, Stephen. So some interesting points that I gathered from what Daker said. First of all. I guess that you kind of just see everything laid out when you show up to a bike demo, like it's all there and it's all pretty looking. It's a lot of work, man. It is. It's, um, you know, I've helped with, um, two different Yeti demos and four Cannondale demos at this point. Yeah. And even I've even helped with, um, a Trek demo and a Santa Cruz demo. Cause you're just a good man. Yeah. So, because I know what it's like, right? These guys have 35 to 50 bikes that are not ready to ride that all need to be prepped and ready to ride before people even show up. Then you have to do everything to dial in and set up the bike for that customer. And they've been on the road. And and many times what they do is they kind of batch these demos. So it's like, you know, they'll do like a West coast swing type of a thing where they'll just be, you know, hitting location, location, location down the coastline, then inward. It's, it's gotta be pretty tiring, man. It's, It's definitely tiring. So it's one of those things, whenever the demo driver, you know, shows up, I'm like, Dude, I'm I'm gonna help you. So just tell yeah. me what you want done. Yeah, I think the Trek guy wasn't expecting that um, yeah, last sure. summer at the Solstice ride. He was not expecting that, and really didn't know how to accept Respond. my help. It was pretty funny. <laughs> you know, the one cool thing I I also picked up from Dacre is I. Th- so I think that there's a lot of apprehension that's natural when you go to a bike demo. You're kind of worried about 
taking out the bikes. Uh, like he mentioned, you know, there are some certain things that you want to keep in mind. Like don't just take the bike out all day. Yeah. Um, but try to be considerate of other people there. Of course. Try to show up with, you know, at least know what type of bike riding you want to do. Yeah. And if you can pick out the type of bikes you're interested in, but also be open to trying something else yeah. upon their suggestion. Yeah. That was cool. Um, but I guess that the overall feeling that I got is they genuinely are there to help. It's not like they, you might feel when you go to a bike demo, like they're doing you a favor and you kind of feel bad about making them stay there and, you know, just stand there and rent out all these bikes while they just stand there the whole day. Yeah. But I mean, at least in Dacre's perspective there, he just wants to help people get on bikes. Exactly. Which is pretty cool. Yep. And they're the one thing you can almost be assured of is that every person doing a demo like that was probably a bike person, probably a bike nerd, just like you. Yeah. And they just want to chat bikes. They want to get you on a good bike and they want to, you know, hear your thoughts and feedback so then they can help point you in a direction so that you can have a better time on the bike. Absolutely. Which is pretty cool. Yep. Um, the other thing that I think is interesting about what he said was, as far as the, what you should bring, you know, like the, the pedals, uh, don't bring your bike. It, it, that's interesting. Cause I, I do, I do see the value in bringing your bike. If you want to do like a back to back test, of course that would be valuable. Well, I think the point in that is what he's trying to say is bring your bike. If you want to ride it, but right. don't bring it over to the demo tent and want to use one of the demo racks right. to store your bike while you're riding the other bike yeah, and already have your pedals off your bike. There's, there's nothing more time consuming than having a, a Yeti or a Cannondale or a Trek or whatever in the stand, getting it all set up for that customer and then having to pull it off, mm-hmm. put their bike in, remove the pedals. And you know, if my old boss, rich at great basin put the pedals on, you know, it's going to take an act of God to get the pedals <laughs> off anyway. <laughs> so it's just, it's make sure your pedals are already off the bike. Yeah. And just hand them to us so we can throw it right on the new bike, you know, on the demo bike and done. Yeah. You know, most, most demo fleets are going to have a selection of, you know, flat pedals. And like Dacre said, you know, they carry Crank Brothers and Shimano. Yep. So that covers a lot of bases, you know, on other stuff, but they're going to be cheap, basic beat up pedals. So if you like your XTR trails or your, you know, whatever trail you have or Uh pedal you have, then just bring them off your bike. Yeah. And it is a contact point with your bike. So it could be pretty important to keep that consistent. If, you know, if the pedal has a different feel um, and you aren't good at separating those things, you might think the bike is just totally wrong when maybe the pedal that you're using is just totally different. And, you know, so it is a good thing to to keep in mind. And uh, one thing that along the lines of bringing your own bike, you can't expect them to take on the liability of watching after your bike. Of course. And that's part of the, yeah. 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 Um, So, yeah. And now... Let's hear a different conversation. This one is from my brother, Dustin. Uh, We probably sound pretty similar. Dustin is totally different from me. Dustin is 6'4", and I'm only 5'11". And he's, he's a big guy. He's strong. He's a big guy. He's, he's, he's up into the two hundreds in weight and he's been looking for a new bike. So he went down to Moab with a group of friends and they made a weekend out of it. And we actually talked about a number of different things that that he would want to bring and everything else and talked about the demo. And then once he went down there, demoed them, he came back and we had this conversation. All right, so you went down to Moab over the weekend, which isn't a far drive for you, right? You're you're just up in Salt Lake. Yeah, in Salt Lake, it's about four hours for one tank of gas. And you guys went to the Thaw Festival, right? Yes, we did. 
And that's and here's something that a lot of people I think don't know. So a lot of people know about Outer Bike, which I think a lot of people listening to this will be probably going to Outer Bike right now to go demo some bikes. Or I'm sure that you have bike demos coming around because we're getting into the springtime right now. So you guys went down there. It's among other things, they have a pretty substantial bike demo area. Um, is that is that right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so it's just north. If you've ever been to Moab, it's just north of Moab, uh, about probably 10 minutes north of town uh, in a place called the Brand Trails area. Um, okay. Yeah, it's kind of across from Gemini Bridges. Uh, it's on, yeah, it's just a big, huge kind of an open parking lot. And I believe that's where they have Outer Bike as well. Yeah, I believe so. So what did you bring down to the bike demo with you? Oh, like as far as equipment and all that stuff? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, well, I brought my Canfield just in case all the bikes sucked. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you ride a Canfield the one for reference, right? I do. It is the one. Um, it's a big, beefy bike, but uh, I was hoping not to use it, quite honestly. I was hoping to get on a whole bunch of different kinds of bikes. So, yeah, uh, when we got there, uh, the first bike that we went and demoed, I ended up uh, settled. <laughs> if you can call it settling, I, I settled for a brand new, <laughs> still had the zip ties through the cranks, uh, SB6. Sweet. Yeah, uh, Turk frame. Just It was beautifully built up. And then we went out for a quick ride on that. Um, should I explain the trails or not? Or Yeah, yeah. All right, so um, there are a couple of them. One of them uh, is, it's the hardest trail in that area. Now, that sounds pretty cool, but it's, it's not that hard a trail. But it's a really slow, technical, lots of little, like, curbs and ups and downs and awkward uh, climbs with 180-degree kind of switchbacks in the middle of them. Partial slick rock, partial dirt. And, yeah, it's called Dead Man's. Uh, it's a fun trail, okay. really fun, but it's it's not super fast. It's pretty slow. And so bikes that like to party might be disappointed with the party that's being thrown by that trail. It's it's a more subdued party. This is more subdued. Okay, gotcha. This you. is the guy with yeah. the the guy with the tweed couch. His party. <laughs> <laughs> okay, gotcha. <laughs> so um, so basically, uh, I chose this one because it had a variety of little obstacles. It had it gave me a good chance to check out the suspension and stuff, and the geometry in awkward situations. And then right. it has a bit of a road climb. It dumps you out on the old road into Moab, and I figured I'd be able to really get into how the suspension feels while doing a moderate climb or something like that, be able to feel any mm-hmm. power loss or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, we took the six out, and my first impression of it was, good grief, this thing is big. It it felt really long in the top tube, and so almost too long maybe, but it felt very similar in its ride characteristics to my Canfield, so it's a very long feeling bike when you're trying to do tight switchbacks fairly raked out fairly slack angles and all that stuff it didn't feel quite as low as my canfield did fewer pedal strikes and that kind of things when this is a trail of four pedal strikes if you're ever right ever there was one it climbed surprisingly well for a kind of an enduro a hammer bike it climbed quite well i was really surprised with that uh it so had when a you say it, it climbed well let's break that part down so then we can kind of understand how to understand if a bike climbs well um so so what were the things that made you feel like it was climbing well okay uh, there are a couple things first off the front end for being as slack as it was i didn't feel like it was wagging to the sides quite as much as some others some other bikes that i've ridden including my canfield it it didn't wag back and forth quite as much, um, which which I like because that helps me maintain accuracy if I'm doing technical things where I've got to slot my wheel through 
certain spots or hit marks. It felt reasonably efficient in the rear as well, though. Um, I could feel the suspension moving a little bit, but not too much. It wasn't spongy feeling. There was actually one thing that I wasn't super wild on, and you and Steven may burn me at the stake for this. <laughs> as I was climbing, every time I hit like a little square edge, more than like something maybe around like, I don't know, six inches, five inches tall, it felt like it was hesitating really hard before it would climb. So the back end felt like it would impact the ledge. My forward momentum would slow a little bit. It would kind of convert into upward stuff. It would climb, the back end would climb up it, and then I'd be back up on top and able to keep going. But it felt almost a little bit hooky, if that makes sense. Like it was catching sense. on things almost? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. And okay. I was expecting, coming from a 26 to a 27.5, I was expecting less of that, and it actually was considerably more than my can feel. It's less of an active feel when climbing. Okay, and when you say active, we're talking about suspension that is actively moving through the stroke uh, with, I guess, greater ease, perhaps we could. Yeah, is that a good yeah. way to di- identify, or I should say define that? Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, a lot of people will get really afraid when they feel the suspension moving at all when they climb. Mm-hmm. But as you've mentioned in previous podcasts, we're starting to realize that, you know, a little bit of that movement is actually beneficial. Yep. And stuff. Yeah, it, being it, fully locked out actually can can hurt your momentum when you're going up. Sure, it'll give you a firm pedaling platform, but it might not be faster. Yeah, if you're doing a fire road, great. If you're doing something with little ledges and and rock piles and things like that in it, active, I think, is is faster. So you were paying attention to a couple things. You, um, I guess you were paying attention to the speed of that the bike was carrying on the climbs. You paid attention to how the, the bike was, if it was wandering or not, which is common with more gnarly enduro bikes. Mm-hmm. And when I say wandering, we're talking about the front end. And then also how it sat in its pedal stroke when you were pedaling, if it was you know, sitting high and if it felt stable or if it was you know, wandery and sitting low. In this case, it was more sitting high and stable. But the downside was is that it, it, you felt it catching on ledges. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So what about the turning or going downhill, whichever you want to cover there? Now, there were a couple downhill sections in it and there were a couple downhills with, I mean, they're up to maybe like a foot drop kind of thing. So they weren't big at all, but there were a couple of little kind of G out type sections where we would have like a little curb shaped thing kind of in the, in the center of the G out, like where you don't want it in the center of the di- the compressor. So I decided to give the bike a try and see how it felt. And when I pushed into those things, those little edges, it f- actually felt better, which made mm-hmm. me realize this thing, it wants to be ridden hard or not at all. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, it is a true enduro race machine. Like it's, it will ride slow and stuff and it will do so all right. It'll, it'll do an okay job, but it really, really starts to come alive when you really push into it. Cornering got more lively the faster I went. It began to want to party. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. And then you demoed, so let's cover the opposite end of the spectrum because, oh, I should say, just run through a quick list of the other bikes you demoed. So you did the SB6. Okay. So I did the SB6. I did the SB5.5, the new one. Okay. I did an SB4.5 just for a little bit. I did a Trek Remedy. People are getting hammered, by the way. So much, so much, <laughs> so many mentions. But yeah, a Trek Remedy, sorry. 
Trek Remedy, uh, and this is the 27.5 wheel, and it's the 9.9, their highest end everything on it. I briefly rode a Pivot Firebird, the brand new one with all new geometry and all that stuff. How many and pivots did it have in the suspension? It is kind of a misleading <laughs> name, isn't it? Never thought about that. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Huh. Continue. That was a terrible dad joke. Continue. This is America. Class action lawsuit time. <laughs> yeah. So let's touch on the Trek. So people at Trek were super cool, and it was a it was a pretty much a brand new bike as well. It looked like it had been ridden a couple times just due to the tires and they still had the whiskers on them. So I hopped on it and my friend Lauren hopped on a Remedy 9.8. Slightly poor lower Lauren. build. Slightly poor less. Lauren. He's, he's just living in the doldrums down there. Living the poor life with a 9.8. Well, he's living in normal height person life. Yeah, I, had, okay. I had to get the XL and that's what they had. So nice. darn. Yeah. <laughs> so we ended up, there's a little kind of a road that gets us out to it. Now this one, we didn't have enough time to go do dead man's anymore. We didn't want to keep the bikes for too long because the line for Yeti bikes was absolutely ridiculous how long the line of people was. Right. Um, yeah. Sense. So yeah. we did a shorter loop and it was a bit simpler in general, but still gave us enough time to test everything. As we were pedaling up the little road, I noticed instantly, I was like, this bike feels slow. It feels incredibly mm. smooth, but very slow. And after about 30 seconds, Lauren uh, pulled up next to me and said, does your bike feel slow? Mine feels <laughs> slow too. <laughs> so it just felt really sluggish, not the handling, but the pedaling of it, just the rolling. And so we got up to the top of this thing, spent much more effort than I had done on the Yeti and we got but then we got to some downhills now this one has I believe it's a 160 Lyric on the front possibly a 170 yeah. but I think a 160 and it also had the new Fox reactive inertial valve shock on it so kind of like the brain but a different thing altogether inside the shock body and the bike, as I hit little rocks and edges and bumps and things like that going down this descent, it felt incredibly controlled and planted. Like, I, it was very calm. Like, it felt like nothing would phase it. And Lauren mm. agreed that his felt much the same way. Just very, very collected, not skittish at all. But when we got to the bottom, we were going considerably slower than we were with the other bikes. And you, you, and you're talking about like the the run out, like just like the keeping momentum. It was harder to keep momentum with it, or yes, yeah. On the way back through another trail section, we had some rollers that we could pump, and I would push everything I had into this bike, and it would roll so slowly. It would take everything I had, and it would not give anything back. Hmm. And part of that, so did, I, I should ask, did you find out why that was? Was that a suspension thing? Was that a tire thing? Since uh, Lauren and I both had slightly different suspension setups on our bikes, but we both had the same tires, and I think mm -hmm. we had the same rear hub as well. I didn't check that. Uh, they were both Bontrager tires, front and rear, and Bontrager hub. And I have a feeling it might have been the tires because, my goodness, like it was a chore. Like on little, like ever so slight flat to downhill fire road things, you could not coast on them. You had to keep pedaling the whole time. And that, and when you pushed into the bike, you know, pumped it through a roller, did you feel like it also just sucked up some of your energy? Like, for example, it didn't reward you with speed when you pumped on the downside of something? Nothing whatsoever. Absolutely could, nothing. I know one thing that I've felt with some bikes like that is I almost feel like the energy that I'm putting into the bike gets lost somewhere in that suspension stroke. Like, it's almost like I'm just pushing into a waterbed, you know? Yeah, that's exactly um, how it felt. Exactly how it felt like a waterbed you could give yeah. it as much body english like you could push into that as hard as you could pump the roller perfectly and you'd come out the same speed huh so it's almost as if it just you know it didn't have enough 
it, that that sounds a lot like a suspension thing too. It could be the tires, but it's, it sounds like a just a suspension thing too. You know? it, it's possible. Yeah, I mean, it uh, that was my first time and only time on that new shock. But the one thing that it would do awesomely is just carry speed through chunder. Probably if you're going through really nasty, gnarly, rocky stuff, going downhill, I should say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it would probably just kind of mush its way right through it. Yeah. Now. I would say that this bike would be perfect. Like if I think, I really do think that a lot of the general, the rolling resistance was due to the tires most likely. Cause we even switched bikes, Lauren and I did. And we both just felt like, ugh, it's just like pedaling through sand and the tires were well inflated and all that kind of stuff. But um, I think that it must've had something to do with those tires themselves. That's, that's my guess at least. So I think that maybe switching to a different set of tires would make it a perfect bike for a person who, maybe is getting into kind of enduro-y rough type terrain. Ah, yeah. Because it wouldn't punish you, right? If you hit something wrong, crooked, it wouldn't you know, want to buck you off. It would be more compliant. Yeah, it'd be calm. It'd be collected. It wouldn't do anything, anything scary. It would absorb everything up to big, gnarly hits just fine. That makes sense. And then you rode the, the Pivot Firebird. Yes, the Firebird. That thing, that thing looks really long. It was longer than the SB6, which is already a long bike. What did what did that bike do well? That because that's an interesting one because I've heard that it's just it likes to party. I've heard I heard it just gets rowdy that bike. It felt to me probably the most like my Canfield, which is more downhill bike than AM bike. It felt okay. it felt like a downhill bike that you could pedal. It didn't soak up like if you were standing up and sprinting on the pedals, it tended to soak a lot of that energy away from you, which isn't necessarily a great thing. But uh, I started pedaling it through a bunch of like kind of like chunky big rock things, maybe softball size rocks, and. It tracked so calm and smooth through that. The back wheel stayed planted and didn't get phased over anything. I was actually very impressed with the traction that I got from that thing. Uh, It felt like a very stiff, very burly platform. Didn't feel like there was much flex in it. And I was worried because there were a lot of pivots, no pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) There are a lot of pivots in the back linkage. There are just a lot of little bearings and things like that. So I was worried it was going to be gushy. For flex points. Yeah. any, Any pivot you see is an opportunity for more flex. And not the bike, but the pivot in the frame. So, so I, I would this be a bike that you all might almost want to consider like a a bike park bike? Like you might even like throw like a double dual crown on, like a gnarly fork up there. So that I think would be an awesome thing. Like uh, like if you're going up to Whistler and you're riding uh, like top of the world trail, well, throw on the most- a Fox Forty. Oh, I don't know if that's allowed with that bike. I don't know if I can legally say yes, but um, <laughs> if one were so inclined and if it didn't yeah. do anything bad uh, frame or geometry wise, uh, that would be a very fun downhill bike park kind of a, a ride. I mean, just stiff, still felt fairly lightweight in general. It wasn't an iron pig like a lot of downhill bikes feel. Gotcha. The last one you rode is the 5.5, and you rode it in a size large, which you are taller, you have a longer torso too, so you're probably hesitant to try the large. You mentioned to me that that size actually ended up working out well, right? What did you think of that bike? Yeah, so the so I was kind of bummed because the extra large was gone all day. Um, <laughs> people had it all it's day long. Gone. It's still <laughs> yeah. gone, yeah. Every time I got back from riding a different bike, the one that I really wanted to ride was not there. And Which so is finally, a total demo day thing, by the way. That's kind of how things tend to work. It is, and that's just the way it goes, and you have to kind of roll with it. 
And yeah. so I decided to go for a large and I, I just try to extrapolate that out to what a bigger frame would feel like. Now, as soon as, and you're right, I am six foot three, but my legs aren't quite that long. I hopped yeah, on this. Yeah, we should clarify, it's made up in the torso. You don't have like an oddly long <laughs> neck or something weird like that. So, <laughs> yeah, it's the torso that makes up the rest. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. So I took my mutant body and I got the large and I went for, uh, as soon as I hopped on the bike, it felt comfortable. I'm used to 26 wheels. I felt a tiny difference with 27.5, but not really anything appreciable on this and bike. You have mocked me. You have mocked me many times for my wagon wheels for preferring 29s. That's right. We should just get that out there. Yeah, that's right. He's been the, the pioneer handcart person of the family forever. <laughs> so <laughs> true. Yeah. So I hopped on this thing, and instantly I felt completely at home on it. Uh, the top tube. Uh, effective top tube length of it, which is what I was really worried about being too small with a large. It felt mm. super comfortable. I had plenty of travel with the dropper post. The seat felt like it was the right position forward and backward. The large fit me just right. How did it perform differently? Because they have very similar suspension systems, the SB6 that you rode before to the 5.5. So how was it different? So the 5.5 felt very similar in general to the SB6. Uh, it, felt, it felt very, very similar. It had that same hook early on in the travel. Like if you're just trying to kind of lightly flow over things, or if you're hitting a bunch of chatter when your suspension isn't heavily weighted. But it seemed, uh, I mean, this could be partially the bigger wheels, but it floated over things, I think, a little more gracefully. Uh, it's it's hard to quantify that. I'm an engineer, and that's I hate descriptions like that. But but it's perception that we're dealing with here, so you know it makes sense. And also with with the larger wheels, it should aid in that issue. There should so yeah yeah. So it was hard to tell, but it felt very similar in frame stiffness. I tried to kind of torque the frame around a little bit. It felt just as stiff as the SB6 did. It felt even though it's a little bit less slack, it seemed to handle about the same at the same speeds. Now I'm not sure why that was because I mean a steeper head angle, it should be a little bit more uh, nervous going fast. But it right. felt super calm and collected. Well, cool. That covers that covers the whole gamut, and hopefully. In addition to, of course, the bike demo stuff that we're talking about now, that gives you guys some some good opinion pieces on all those different bikes, which is pretty cool. So, sure, I appreciate it, man. Cool, yeah, good to talk to you. All right, so my brother, he didn't follow my advice on a couple things, and we'll cover that because on the other side of things, my brother is, as I'm sure as you've all picked up, he's about as analytical as I am. Yeah, he's very <laughs> so, much an engineer. Yes, he is. Um, he has been known to design suspension systems for fun in his free time. I'm not even that. So, <laughs> so um, one thing that um, uh, one thing that I would suggest you always bring on a demo is number one, a shock pump. Well, first, let's back up. Don't bring a water bottle because you don't know if that bike is going to have a cage on there. Probably not. Probably Most not. demo fleets don't have that sort of stuff on there. Yep. So bring a camel back yes. if that's what you ride with. If not, be a camel and make do. Um, but so if you have a bag, you can stash something that would be very helpful in there, a shock pump. Because initial setup is not always going to be perfect and you're going to have to dial in that bike. And some bikes, <clears throat> you know, on your bike, you might sag at 30% and that's where you want to be. Yeah. But some bikes, when you ride them, for your riding style and your weight and everything else, you actually might, that bike might perform better if you're at 20%. Yep. And, and you might not know that the person setting up the demo bike might not know that. So if you feel like the bike isn't behaving well, you can bring that shock pump and you can make subtle changes. 
if you ever feel like there's too much pressure in there and you don't have a shock pump, please do not take the cap off and try to let air out because it will let all the air out very quickly, like instantaneously. Very much. So don't do that. Um, but bring the shock pumps and you can make minor adjustments. And also do not be afraid to adjust compression and adjust rebound when you're out there on the bike. That's what the dials are for. And we've already gone on that tirade in depth. So you guys should know the basics. Yes. Look back at that episode, listen to it again. Yes. You should be fine. So that's, um, one thing. The other thing that he didn't bring that I find can be helpful is a GPS. So then you can track things and really get nerdy with it. So if you, because a lot of bikes feel fast or feel slow, but they might be deceptive. Yep. And that's something that I've definitely noticed over time. So a GPS will just let you compare different runs. And as long as you like separate the activities or make sure you keep track of things, it can be informative. Yep. So that's really good. Now onto the good things. He did not shy away from riding on a road. He rode, he started out on the road or dirt road and even a paved section for a while. Yeah. And he kind of relished that. He was looking forward to that. Not because he's a roadie, because he certainly is not. And he makes fun of me at, at just endless amounts as any big brother should for where his little brother wearing Lycra. Yeah. That's just what he should do. But he wanted to do that because it was like the opportunity to remove all variables and yeah. see what the bike performed like with pedaling like that. Yep. That was pretty smart. Um, th- now, aside from that, uh, the other thing that he did was he took into account the trail conditions before he even rode the bike, which is super important, right? Yeah. I mean, cause that's something that we've seen with the, like the, the demos. A lot of the time the demos take place in a spot that's easily, that's, you know, accessible yeah. or that's, that's popular or accommodating in one way or another for the crowds, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the best trails. Yeah. So you know, it's try as you might to find the trails, uh, that, that you or to find perfect trails, but really you should just be trying to take into consideration what you'll be riding. Yeah. There. Now he went really in depth and he was analyzing everything about how the bike performed in those different circumstances. And I really do think that's important, but it can be hard for some people to understand what the bike is doing under them. How do you figure out Steven, when you ride a demo bike, how do you, what are you paying attention to when you're riding that bike to try to find out if it is a good pedaler, if it is a good descender, or if it is a good handling bike in the turns or anything else like that? What do you pay attention to? I guess essentially I feel, um, the way that I feel a bike out typically would be, um, to just really pay attention to how a bike reacts to inputs that I give. Okay. And then I don't try to make the decision in the moment. I really want to step back at the end of it and look at all of my data that I've amassed and all of the, the feels that I've gotten. The feels. And and I, I really then step back and analyze it and say, why did at this point feel that way? And this is a big thing for me with demos. Like I have a hard time going to places like, you know, to Moab, to outer bike. If I'm not familiar with the trails, I don't know exactly where all of the features, like, you know, when your brother, when Dustin was talking about, you know, hitting the square edges on the, the SB six versus the five, five, you know, on a familiar trail, I would know where that was and know, okay, well in that moment, how did this, how did the bike react? Yeah. It felt like it dragged on those, on that, you know, that ledge, but look at the GPS data and find that point and be like, Oh, it didn't really do that. Or, you know, it didn't actually slow me down. Yeah. It didn't really slow me down that much. So, um, so that's really how I would do it. Um, and my big thing is I don't think I wouldn't ride so many bikes in a day. 
Yeah. I think three bikes in a day is about the max that you'd ever want to ride to really get a feel because then you just start diluting the waters. Then you're starting to also deal with, you know, fatigue on the fourth bike and the fifth bike or whatever. And then you might perceive that that bike is slower or doesn't handle as well, but really you're slower and don't handle well because you're tired. Cause you know, cause chances are you're not going to have a power meter on these demo bikes. So you can't really see that. Oh yeah, I was definitely tired. Right. Exactly. That's a good point. Yeah. And he adhered to that pretty well. He did three and then three. So, um, he did a good job with that. The one thing that I like about what he did as well as he went and he kind of went out of what the list of bikes that he had that he wanted to try. He tried them and then he was willing to try other ones like the pivot firebird that he mentioned. Yeah. And that's something that's a total departure of, from what he would like to ride. But I do think that that was cool and it gives him some perspective on not only that bike, but also it helps him form your perception of the other bikes too. Yes. So I thought that was pretty, pretty important. Um, other things, anything else, Steven, that you would say a person should bring to a bike demo? I think personally, just one thing that I've noticed that always bothers me, and I know Daker talks about this, I think leave your ego at home and be open-minded about things. Mm. So if you're a diehard Santa Cruz guy and you go to a Yeti demo, don't go into it thinking that you're just going to be let down that these bikes are subpar compared to what you are and try to be a know-it-all to the demo guy or whatever. Yeah. Go in with an open mind. Yeah. Just go enjoy the bike. Yeah. Because chances are you're going to love it. Yeah. I'm not saying that as a Yeti. I'm just saying in general. Yes. No matter what, you're just going to enjoy the demo. So yeah. just go enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. Um, one thing, anything that you've seen that, that frustrates you, I guess, other than that, when people come to demos that you wish people wouldn't do? We've covered the pedals. I think just not being prepared in general. Yeah. People not knowing, oh, I have to leave, you know, my my driver's license with you, or oh, I was supposed to bring pedals, or it just that kind of thing. Like and that's what we're here for. That's what we're trying to do in this yeah. is really help people be prepared. The lack of preparedness is really it. Yeah. So bring a driver's license. Uh, many demos also require a credit card. Yes. So have a credit card with you that you can leave on file, um, or leave with them. Yeah, uh, during not like that they ride. put a you know they don't charge anything on it. They right. just hold it with your your uh, driver's license. Yeah, because demo bikes do go disappearing uh, from time to time, uh, unfortunately. So uh, those are the things that you should bring. I, I can't think of anything else that I would recommend bringing. Um, try to keep variables the same if you can, meaning that, um, you know, just because you're more anxious to ride a certain bike, don't, you know, just try to try to keep your enthusiasm harbored there and uh, approach the trail from the same, the same way you would otherwise on other bikes. That'll give you a fair comparison point. And then the other thing that I would say is if you can try to know the trails beforehand, or at the very least, if it's a new area that you're riding at for the demo, ride a loop And on that first bike, kind of make that a throwaway. And then if you can circle back to demoing that bike at another point. Yeah. And that should help give you a better perspective because when you first ride new trails, it's always going to be a learning process for that. So that's what I recommend there. All right, Steven, let's close things out with our tips. You don't care that counting on your tips to live. Let's start with yours this week, Steven, instead of mine. Why? 
Uh, I don't know. Let's just do that. Okay. How about that? Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, so this week, we all know it, you've been getting updates on my Instagram yeah. as far as uh, what Project Aurora is kind of shaping up into. Project Aurora. <laughs> and we just did um, the part spread photo shoot before flat we lay. did this. Yep. Uh, we did the flat lay. So that's- Here at Trainer Road HQ. Yeah. On, on the, the beautiful etched concrete floors, etched and polished. It's, it's pretty beautiful. sweet. Yeah. And it kind of matches your build. It does. It's pretty sweet. It's really weird, yeah. yeah. And of course, we went full nerd. We yeah. had Kino Flow blast or ballasts all set up at different angles, and we had the whole thing going. So I was really impressed with the you know power inverters and yeah. all that. I'm like, dang, yeah, they're not messing around. I here. went ham. Yes, yeah. We did. So, now, but please, please discuss our OSHA approved uh, <laughs> Herman Miller chair that you decided to stand on. Yeah. Yeah. That um, was pretty good. I, I took my shoes off. Uh, I'm sure my boss is listening to this, so don't worry. I took my shoes off. Um, but we needed to get some elevation to get above the, the, the bike as it was laying flat in, in parts on the floor. So, uh, Steven carefully held the chair, the very expensive Herman Miller chair. Uh, it's not the fancy one in your office, Nate. Don't worry about that. It's just the, the rolly chairs that we have. And we made it go as high as we could. And then I stood on that and yeah. that was a little scary. <laughs> anyway, so the, so my, my tip for the day is, uh, uh, is prismatics powder coating material. Okay. So there's a lot of different brands of powder coating material, but they are the ones, they've got 6,500 different color choices. Wow. Um, if you want to dial anything in on your bike and just, you know, do anything a little bit different or a little bit crazy, um, look them up, prismaticspowders.com. And nice. they are phenomenal to work with. You can write on the website, you can say, hey, I want, you know, this sample, this sample, this sample. And they'll just mail them to you for free. Sweet. And so you can get little swatches of aluminum that have the powder coat on them. Instead of printed on paper. Instead of printed on paper. So you yeah. get the actual representation on a, like a, just a silvery, you know, finished aluminum. And uh, so that really helped us dial in the color because this time on my build, we didn't want to do that loud orange SLS coil um, we wanted to kind of subdue that down a little bit yep. for, you know, to take away from that focal point. So we ended up picking a different color and the coil just got finished and one of my Yeti, um, coffee mugs. Sweet. They, well, when you order two pounds, you load the line and you're <laughs> going to scrap a pound of it anyway. So you might as well spray two things Throw at once. Some things, yeah. Yeah. So I ended up getting a second, um, um, thing done out of it. So I got the coil done and I got a Yeti bottle. And you can't drink <clears throat> if you're hearing that because it's a very different Yeti. It's Yeti coolers. We're talking about the coolers company. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my 20 ounce coffee mug. Um, nice. That is now done in the same color as the coil. Nice. And, you know, as we go through the build, we'll, you know, show the colors on that. So it'll be cool. But yeah, so Prismatics Powders, they're actually a really good product. Um, really phenomenal company to work with. Sweet. So. My tip are the cameras that I carry. I'm going to cover those uh, with me when I'm riding and when I'm not riding. So number one, uh, a lot of – so if you go into my YouTube channel, uh, you can just search Jonathan Lee Mountain Bike or MTB and you'll find it on there. Uh, you'll see that I have – so I use a Feutech gimbal and we'll go into like – we'll deep dive on all this stuff at another point on an episode. But I use a Feutech gimbal and I use a GoPro Hero Session, and I want the Session 5. That'll happen soon. But yeah. the reason that I use the Session is because it isn't because it's smaller and cuter or whatever else you want to say, but it is balanced because it's just a cube, and it actually behaves better in a gimbal. Uh, the standard GoPro lags 
uh, when it moves more because of the fact that it is heavier and less balanced. It's a rectangle. Gotcha. So it's the cube is actually better. So that's what I use when I ride. And then in the, when I'm, I should say that's the riding camera that I have. And then what I usually carry in my Jersey pocket or in my bag is a tiny little camera called the Sony RX 100. And I have the Mark three, but if you get the Mark three, Mark four, Mark five, you're dialed. And the, that is the best little camera. Um, top professionals use it for even like really high-end productions because it's so good. And it is not cheap. It's like a point-and-shoot size, but it's $1,000. So not cheap. But if you find the Mark III, you can find it for really cheap on eBay, relatively speaking, like $400. Is it a real Sony? Yeah, yeah, it's legit. Yeah, it's legit. Okay. <laughs> yeah, not fake. I was just thinking, you know, the Foyu tech, uh, yeah, know. yeah. That probably doesn't sound very legit. Yeah. yeah. But no, it's, 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 it's legit. It's fantastic. It's a really good camera cause it fits in your Jersey pocket. And then outside of that, the what camera, did, what, yeah. yeah. What camera did we shoot the, the, uh, the flat lay with the today? flat lay with, with a Sony a 6,000. Oh dang. Yeah. And that just is one step up, bigger sensor, a little better removable lenses, uh, the whole deal. Actually, we have it sitting right by us right now. But the cool part about that camera is the a 6,000 is a relative bargain and it's still a really good camera cause it's had two newer versions come out. But this camera is one that you can get for like $300, just the body. The lenses are separate cost, but it's pretty darn cheap for how good of a camera you get. Is it a frameless? Frameless? No, mirrorless, you mean? Yeah, that. So Steven, yeah, Steven, <laughs> Steven always, uh, always asks these uh, camera questions. So it is mirrorless. Yeah, okay. it is mirrorless. It is not a DSLR. You don't want to carry around those big things unless you have something really high-end and you're a professional photographer that's getting paid a bunch of money to get the best images and nothing but. Then there are a couple cameras that you might want to consider that are non-mirrorless, like a Canon 1DX Mark II, something like that. But otherwise... You can go with these mirrorless cameras because they are so much smaller. And for us riders, that's huge because it can fit in a camelback. It's not heavy. It's a good deal. So riders, check out mirrorless cameras from Sony, Fuji, everything else like that. You'll be happy. Okay. So yeah, that's uh, some camera nerdery for all of you. So that pretty much covers it, man. Well, there's that. <laughs> there's that. All right. So if you have questions, please submit them to mtbpodcast.com. Uh, you can go on there. You can listen to the latest episodes. You can submit uh, questions. You can listen to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, whatever other podcast app you use. Leave reviews and please share the podcast. We'd appreciate it. And tag us in your Instagram posts. We want to see what you guys are out doing. Yeah. Yeah. We're up to that too. We'll talk to y'all next week. Have nice day. Hey guys, Jonathan here. Just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro, it comes from Wave Riders Entertainment, my good friend Tommy Walter. Check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to. We'll talk to you next week.